Hey listeners, on May 13th, we invite you to join us and Reed Hoffman for a new virtual strategy session presented in alliance with Capital One Business. You'll hear insights from fellow entrepreneurs about how to be at the forefront of leading change with AI. So go to mastersofscale.com AI strategy right now to register for free. Again, that's mastersofscale.com AI strategy. Looking forward to seeing you there. When electricity started, you have a conversation about use cases. Maybe I can have a light bulb. I can power a motor. Now you don't talk about use cases. You just assume electricity will be there. And that's how we should be thinking about connectivity to the internet, connectivity to the cloud. We are connecting everything to the cloud 100% of the time. We made technologies that people thought it will never work. Crisis gave us focus. Look at that page and say, I understand the strategy. I understand how I fit into the strategy. That gets distributed to every one of our employees. That's Cristiano Amon, CEO of Qualcomm. As computer chips are increasingly embedded in every appliance, every manufacturing effort, every part of business and life, chip makers like Qualcomm are at the heart of how our modern world functions. I'm Bob Safian, former editor of Fast Company, founder of the Flux Group, and host of Masters of Scale Rapid Response. I wanted to talk to Cristiano because as the global chip shortage has crimped supplies for all sorts of goods, companies like Qualcomm have become central in determining how broadly democratized technology can become. Qualcomm was a company mired in controversy not long ago, crossing swords with Apple, with the FTC. It's back against the wall. But as Amon explains, the company continued to lean into its creative side to pivot its products toward the future. Even now, as semiconductor supplies have been constrained, Qualcomm's relied on the creativity of its engineers to find manufacturing solutions. Qualcomm's way too big and too established to be anything like a startup. But the entrepreneurial spirit within Amon and at Qualcomm overall is what drives its strategy and its impact. Scaling once you're at scale still requires constant evolution. It's both a lesson and a reminder. We'll start the show in a moment. Afterward from our premier brand partner, Capital One Business. I woke up in the middle of the night because I had this nightmare that we were front page news that we've done the stupidest mistake of our life by making this pivot. <laughs> That's Aparna Saran, Chief Marketing Officer for Capital One Business. And she's recalling a moment from her previous position at Capital One when she was heading up a team designing a new business card. We had just made the decision to go all in and sunset the prior version of the product, which was honestly the cash cow for our business. When we made that decision within a senior leadership meeting, as someone who had been on the journey to build this out for five plus years, it was really exciting. But by the time the weekend hit, I started to feel the responsibility and the pressure. We are taking this big bet on something that I've built. Perhaps you've been there. You've made a pivotal decision and then panic sets in. How would Aparna calm her butterflies and steer her team through this pivot? 
We'll find out later in the show. It's all part of the Refocus Playbook, a special series where Capital One Business highlights stories of business owners and leaders using one of Reed's theories of entrepreneurship. Today's Playbook Insight, have multiple plan Bs. I'm Bob Safian, and I'm here with Cristiano Amon, the CEO of Qualcomm. Cristiano is coming to us from Qualcomm's headquarters in California as I ask my questions from my home in New York. Cristiano, thanks for joining us. Happy to be talking to you, Bob. Yeah, I'm glad. Did I pronounce your name right? Amon, yeah, did, did I do that right? I did yeah, it you okay. Did. Yeah. I know you're Brazilian. Now, when the Olympics or the World Cup come around, do you root for Brazil or do you root for the US? Or, like, what do you do? I think both. Uh, you know, I've been, uh, I've been living in this uh, great country for probably over 27 years now. So dual loyalties, not divided loyalties, dual loyalties. Right. Yeah. But if it is soccer, then uh, of course, Brazil. <laughs> well, even I can understand that. You probably have more games you can root for in the World Cup. There's so much for us to talk about, about uh, technology and mobility impacts, shifting, expanding Internet of Things, implications of 5G. There are your leadership insights as a new CEO. You took the helm at Qualcomm last summer. So scaling in this new perch in this era. But first, I want to ask about the semiconductor supply situation. Our listeners aren't necessarily chip experts, but even casual business observers have heard about shortages and the ripple effects that that can have. Can you set for us, like, what's going on in the industry? How far through this bottleneck are we? Or is it a bottleneck? What will it take to resolve? All right. I would be shocked if you didn't ask me a question about the semiconductor <laughs> supply chain. Well, let's just go into it. It's really important to understand what got us here. There is a process of digital transformation of the economy, and that is going much faster. Finally, we saw video telephony becoming the killer application. People have been trying to do that for years. You saw people upgrading their infrastructure in their home with faster broadband, new Wi-Fi systems. You see people buying 5G phones, buying new computers. So you have this pandemic-induced, as we start to think about working from anywhere, increase of consumptions of semiconductor. And then you have a digital transformation of virtually every industry. There are chips in everything. As you talk about the Internet of Things, but also artificial intelligence in all of those devices. And then the last part of it is some industries, for example, the automotive industry, thought we have the pandemic, people are not going to buy any cars. So then you brought the scale down, and then you have to bring everything back up as you actually have demand. So we had a perfect storm. And the reality is you have incredible demand for semiconductors, and we are now catching up in having capacity being built. Now, here's the good news. The good news is there's a lot of investment going semiconductor. There's a lot of investments in trying to build a resilient semiconductor supply chain because it's not about solving the problem today. It's about making sure we have chips for the next few decades. And I think there's this new sense of understanding of the importance of semiconductor. People realize that chips are important. And chip companies like Qualcomm are important companies. So if anything, that's the silver lining. We had a guest on in a very different industry recently who talked a lot about how 
these supply chain issues had them rethinking diversifying sources and building capacity closer to each market and things like that. Are there any specific adjustments that Qualcomm has made or is considering about how your supply works? We have done better than uh, some of the other semiconductor companies because we were able to tap into our incredible engineering capability. And we will be able to redesign our products to every available semiconductor manufacturing capacity out there. Even on advanced technology, we're one of the few companies that have multi-sourcing the leading node of semiconductor. The other thing that we did was we made long-term capacity investments with our suppliers. Qualcomm, we had done well doing those things. You know, having said that, I still have more demand and supply. Uh, I wish it more if I had more chips. But we're starting to see incremental supply coming in in 2022. And we get, you know, over time, things are going to get better. And if I understand your point at the beginning there, there was capacity in certain kinds of chips and you sort of shifted through engineering the kinds of chips that you could produce from that source. Is that right? So you could get the higher value chips from the places where you had capacity. That's exactly what we did. We're one of the largest fabulous companies. We design our chips and we outsource manufacturing. This is since the beginning of our company. And we have many suppliers from TSMC in Taiwan to Samsung in both Korea and the United States. We have UMC, we have MIC and Global Foundries and so forth. So we pretty much work with everybody. And as we started to see shortages in particular semiconductor technology, we quickly designed the products in that foundry into a different technology where we could find capacity available. I think what did set Qualcomm apart from the other companies is the speed that we could redesign our products to tap in every possible capacity we could find. If anything, all the credit goes to our incredible engineers. So since you became CEO last July, you've been emphasizing this sort of broaden demand for chips across automotive and retail areas you've been pushing into, as well as the core mobile handset market, and you power most of the AR and VR headsets behind the emerging metaverse. What do you think people most misunderstand about how chip technology and this wave is going to impact business and culture? So the first thing is we are connecting everything to the cloud 100% of the time. Look, when we set ourselves to design 5G, we knew that this technology was designed to be the fundamental last mile connectivity technology, not only connecting people, but connecting everything. We made an analogy saying 5G is like electricity and people didn't understand that. And we said, look, when electricity started, you have a conversation about use cases. And you talk about it, maybe I can have a light bulb, I can power a motor. Now you don't talk about use cases, you just assume it's there. You just assume electricity will be there. And that's how we should be thinking about connectivity to the internet, connectivity to the cloud. As we build this connected society, and as we look, for example, just look at the Wall Street, the valuation of the mega cap companies, some of the hyperscaler cloud companies, whether it's Microsoft and Azure, Amazon, AWS, Google, 
Why is that? Because more and more data is going to go to the cloud. The current projection is 35% year over year, and we're going to have everything connected to the cloud. Well, for that to become a reality, you need somebody else on the physical world connecting all of those devices to the cloud. And as you connect those devices to the cloud, you start to see the benefits of artificial intelligence from coming from the cloud to your device or from your device to the cloud. The devices become smarter. They have contextual data. You see federated learning when one device learns from the other. You see advanced computational capabilities coming. Semiconductors not only required for you to power the data centers, but advanced semiconductors for those billions of devices out there. So the demand it will continue to increase. Semiconductors are going to be part of this fabric that is going to allow everyone and everything to be connected to the cloud. Now, the next thing, it's about Qualcomm. And why do people misunderstand about Qualcomm? Behind the invention of every digital generation of wireless from CDMA to G to 3G to 4G to 5G, this is the company that had an interesting adventure with Apple, but it's a mistake to define Qualcomm as a mobile company. It's really a mistake. We can no longer be defined by a single in-market or a single customer relationship. We're actually providing the semiconductor technology for all of those billions of devices on the other side of the data center that are being connected to the cloud. You're starting to see Qualcomm becoming an automotive company, supplying technology to the automotive car, becoming an Internet of Things company, whether it's consumer, industrial, networking, and to the new future computing platform of augmented reality devices that will lead us to the metaverse. You've talked about one technology roadmap and, and the need to sort of simplify and crystallize. And at the same time, you talk about how broad Qualcomm's opportunities are in almost every industry. And I'm curious, how do you prioritize when you've got both of those things going on? Yeah, I'll give the answer to people that want to hear. I don't, because we have way too many opportunities and we're in a hurry. But the reason we can do this is because of this one technology roadmap. We develop one set of technology and products. That's the elevator pitch in Qualcomm. Everything wireless connectivity and everything high-performance computing for a low-power device. And we are applying this one technology roadmap to each and every one of those opportunities. So that allow us to go to a large number of end markets all at once. You alluded to this earlier a little bit. Qualcomm came through a real crisis in the period just before you took over. I know you were at the company for it. You were in a significant leadership role, but there were legal challenges, antitrust challenges, fracas with Apple, some existential challenges. What did you take away from that period? I've been running the semiconductor business of Qualcomm. I became president in 2018. And uh, I honestly think that crisis actually gave us purpose and focus. And what I was really focused on doing is make sure we talk about what is the next Qualcomm. And we were in the middle of the crisis. We accelerated 5G by one year. We made technologies that people thought it will never work, like millimeter wave, to work on a mobile device. We deliver 5G commercial devices ahead of the infrastructure. And we created the foundation that would allow this technology to go to other industries and with that diversify Qualcomm. So I'll tell you, crisis 
gave us focus. I have to ask you, when you bring up 5G, there's this dispute, I guess you could say, about 5G at airports and whether it's safe or not, whether phones could be safety concerns for airports, you know, and we hear from phone networks on one end and airline companies on the other. I'm curious if you can give us some context here, like what's going on? What is the risk for real? And whose responsibility is it to deal with it if it's there? All right. It, uh, it's a complicated matter, but I'll give you a simple answer. Great. At the end of the day, the technology has been developed to coexist with different use cases. And there are mechanisms that make you coexist with legacy systems as well as new systems. It's all about the FCC and the FAA working together in determining the rules. This is not new to any generation of wireless. This is absolutely not new. You have situations that you have maximum power that you can transmit in certain locations. You have maximum height of the antennas. So the industry has been working with those things for a long time. It's all about getting the technical data in the table, follow the recommendations that are available in the standards, and it's going to work and it's not going to be a problem. So this isn't something to be scared about. It's not a scary thing. It's just sort of clarifying what the rules are and who's making each of the rules in each of the places. That is correct. I, I think it's because it's new. It's something that has happened with different technology. I'll give you an example. At some point, you have a lot of conversations when you started to bring 4G into the band that was called CBRS. There's a lot of debates about whether they will interfere with Wi-Fi or Wi-Fi when it interfere with 4G. And people work it out. And uh, <laughs> it's going to be the same. I mean, that's what new technologies are. We have to work out those wrinkles. We'll be back in a moment after a word from our premier brand partner, Capital One Business. There was panic that set in that night because I didn't want to let people down. We're back with Aparna Saran of Capital One Business. She was recalling the time she woke up in a cold sweat, terrified that the new product she had been working on might fail. So the next morning, she sat down and wrote an email. It was Sunday morning, and I said, you know what? I'm going to just, like, share this with my peers. It was very emotional. It was, like, sort of a cry for help. Aparna realized that if the new product didn't take off, she needed a plan B, preferably multiple plan Bs. I'm inviting them to be the thought partners so that we are mitigating as much risk as possible and we have contingency plans in place as we make this move. You write something like this and your heart is pounding, should I send this? It was a super vulnerable moment for me. But then I was like, I'm going to just send this. Like, what's the worst that will happen? It can't be worse than being on the front page of the newspaper. So she held her breath and hit send. What happened next would surprise even her. We'll hear about that later in the show. It's all part of Capital One Business's Spotlight on Business Leaders, following Reed's Refocus Playbook. Before the break, we heard Qualcomm CEO Cristiano Amon talk about the semiconductor supply chain, how chips are moving into every industry, and how a time of crisis helped Qualcomm become more relevant. Now, he talks about his struggles to find work-life balance, what makes his role as CEO different than his old job, and how mobile can help bridge the digital divide. Plus, how Qualcomm is making the transition from a B2B company to a consumer brand in a very different way than Intel did. And among simple tips for getting everyone in the organization aligned around a single strategy. 
One of your colleagues said to me, Cristiano, he never takes his foot off the accelerator. And I'm curious whether you have the same expectation of those around you. A lot of leaders and managers are struggling right now with how to balance a demanding, high-performance work culture with this sort of rising stress and mental health concerns among their team. And I'm just curious how you balance that, how you manage your team with their stress, how you manage your own stress, or maybe you don't get stressed. That's a very good question. It's a complicated question. So let's just talk about work-life balance. I am still work in progress uh, in, the, in the area. We have a lot of opportunities in the forefront of innovation. Everything's new. Everything's always changing. We see new opportunities. We have to move fast. But at the end of the day, we also need time for ourselves, for our family. So this is a constant work that I have been doing it with my own life and try to find balance. It got a little bit more hectic as I become CEO, but I'm sure we're going to find a balance. At the end of the day, we all need to take vacation. We all need to spend time with our family and loved ones. We need to do things that take our mind off work, get us to recharge our batteries. And this is actually when you find that balance, that's where you really find a high-performance team. Yeah. I understand that you got a puppy during COVID, your family, that you take it for a walk each morning. I'm curious, is that walk like a meditative moment for you? Like you're clearing your head and doing deep breathing? Or is that a time when you're like getting yourself pumped up for the day and preparing in your head the things you're going to get to? Yeah, I have to confess, is the latter. Sometimes <laughs> I use the time to think about how she's going to play my day. What are things that I'm behind? What do I need to do? How do I prepare for meetings? But it's that quiet time that is helpful as well. Sometimes I say the most important thing I'm going to do today is decide what it is I'm going to do today. Absolutely. Right? <laughs> what have you found that's different about being a CEO than the previous positions you've held? What is different is you do feel the burden on your shoulders of the CEO position. It's an incredible responsibility, given how smart our employees are. And there's an expectation from you, not only from the outside, but also from the inside. How do I deliver on those expectations? That's a change. I think the second change, which is kind of more of a moment that the company is going through right now. I am in a hurry, not because there is any problem with Qualcomm. We're in a hurry because... We have an incredible opportunity to establish the company in this new area and prepare ourselves for the next few decades. And as such, we have more things to do than we have time available. And how do we scale and basically execute on all those fronts? You know, that changed too. And we're working on trying to get ourselves ready to do that, including myself. You've been beating the drum that we're one Qualcomm. The structure of the company was maybe a little more diffuse. There was less crossover in ideas traditionally. How do you make that happen? Like, how do you get the internal culture to adjust when there's been a different sort of legacy, which you grew up in yourself and were part of, too? It's about breaking all the silos and make sure that we really have one company, one company, one team. We win or we lose together. First of all, I spend a lot of time, and I do it over and over and over, communicating the strategy. And I communicated the strategy from a higher level as well in a detail, and I communicate it to everyone. The other thing that I do, I produce in a large, maybe in an A2 and an A3 size, strategy on a page. All the different business, the products, the technology, so everyone will be able to 
look at that page and say, I understand the strategy, I understand how I fit into the strategy. That gets distributed to every one of our employees. And it makes everybody feels, I know from a bigger picture where we're going, I know where I fit, and I know how I can make it better. It's proven to be a very powerful tool when you empower people. People will actually build on the strategy and do much better. I love that you're saying you say it over and over and over again. Sometimes leaders feel like they've said something and people should get it already. I feel sometimes repetition is helpful because not only it provides consistency of the communication, but it allows people to see how it evolves and you have now proof points. You can always go back to the original message repeated and show the proof points that people really internalize it. And uh, I'm not shying of over-communicating it. <laughs> What's at stake for Qualcomm right now? We have a number of key technology transitions ahead of us, which are substantial. When I was in New York presenting our vision at our investor day, they said, we don't have one, we have four major, I think, technology transitions. Number one is we are going to see the full convergence of mobile and personal computing. So that's great, an incredible opportunity how we think about the evolution of mobile platforms. And we saw it with the work from anywhere that all of us are doing for the past few years. The second one is what's going to be the next computing platform. And we have been investing in the metaverse before it was popular. We have more than a decade invested in fundamental technology that allow you to wear glasses that will be able to base connect you with your digital twin, whether it's virtual reality or augmented reality. And as this evolves over the next decade, it could be the new phone and will be the next computing platform. That's number two. Number three is this broad concept of industry 4.0 when you're going to have smart manufacturing, smart retail, smart cities, and then the car becoming a connected computer on wheels. Those are four major, I think, technology transitions. And how we're going to do in those areas is going to define the future of our company. As you're talking, Qualcomm has historically kind of flown under the radar in some ways, you know, certainly compared to, say, Intel, which spent a ton of money getting its name out. Is an under-the-radar position an advantage, or is that something that you're really looking to change? I'm going to tell you something that I think surprised everybody. This surprised us a bit. So Qualcomm has been more of a B2B company. We have been very well known by governments, regulators, by the telecom industry. Now we're very well known by the car industry. We have not been in the past a consumer company, not a lot of consumer advertisement. However, we have a mature smartphone society today. People care about what's behind the screen of their phones and want to know about it. So just Last year, the last quarter of the year, we launched our latest Snapdragon, Snapdragon 8 Gen 1. We have an event in Hawaii when we launched the new chip. We had 50 million views. That's not a small number. So over time, you should expect to see us a lot more visible because the Snapdragon and the Qualcomm fans want us to do that. And for you strategically, is it a strategic advantage? Is it important to be more 
out there in that consumer space? Or is that just a representation? No, it's important. I am convinced this is important because it also creates an incredible channel for Qualcomm to continue to drive technology. And by having a direct access to the end customers of our technology, not only it's good feedback for Qualcomm, but more important is they will be aware of what's available and they can demand the technology we create. Well, this has been great, Cristiano. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that we should have? We always knew in our company that people want telecom, people want connectivity, people want fast internet. When we talk about the digital divide, the smartphone, which is mankind's largest development platform today, it's been the number one tool in connecting people to the internet. Emerging markets, you know, I've been born and raised in Brazil, and the internet developed faster in mobile than the desktop. The other thing is the smartphone incorporated every other consumer electronic device out there. You don't carry your digital camera anymore. That's your phone, your portable video player. It's an endless list. And that also had an incredible impact in sustainability and reducing power consumption. With 5G, we believe we're going to democratize computing. And as you can run computation on the cloud, you'll be able to make computational power available to any device and everyone. And I think that's going to be another big transformation that we're going to see in bridging the digital divide. And we're very excited to be part of that change. Well, Cristiano, thank you so much for making the time. We really appreciate it. Likewise, Bob. Great talking to you. And now, a final word from our brand partner, Capital One Business. Throughout the day, text messages and emails kept pouring in. Whatever you need, just let us know. We're back one more time with Aparna Saran of Capital One Business. She was telling us about a Sunday morning email she fired off in a moment of panic. Minutes later, her inbox was overflowing. And the support she found wasn't just emotional, it was practical. We talked about detailed contingency plans and we created our go-to-market strategy before we are in full rollout mode, we are at stage gates so that we could test and quickly learn and iterate. And within a matter of like six months, as we were rolling things out channel by channel, those stage gates would allow us to pivot if we saw something that we didn't like. That day, Aparna learned a lesson that stayed with her. Having multiple plan Bs doesn't just expand your options. It gives you new opportunities. The best way to pivot is actually open doors for thoughtful conversations because humility in knowing that you actually don't know everything as well as the empathy in knowing that disruption is always drastic and abrupt helps you go through that pivot with other people in a very different way. Capital One Business is proud to support entrepreneurs and leaders working to scale their impact from Fortune 500s to first-time business owners. For more resources to help drive your business forward, visit CapitalOne.com slash Business Hub. That's CapitalOne.com slash Business Hub. Masters of Scale Rapid Response is a Wait What original. The show is recorded remotely using sanitized audio gear. I'm your Rapid Response host, Bob Safian. Host for Masters of Scale is Reed Hoffman. Our executive producers are June Cohen and Darren Triff. Our supervising producer is Jay Punjabi. 
Our producers are Jordan McLeod, Christina Gonzalez, and Marie McCoy-Thompson. Our music director is Ryan Holiday. Original music and sound design by Daniel Nissenbaum and the Holiday Brothers. Audio editing by Keith J. Nelson, Stephen Davies, Andrew Nault, and Mike Gallagher. Mixing and mastering by Aaron Bastinelli. Special thanks to Emily McManus, Sarah Sandman, Kelsey Capitano, Tim Cronin, Charlie Manessis, Adam Heiner, Anna Pizzino, Ben Richardson, Mina Kurosawa, Saida Sapieva, and Colin Howard. Become a member of Masters of Scale to get access to a year's worth of courses and content on the Masters of Scale Courses app. Find out more at mastersofscale.com membership. Visit mastersofscale.com slash rapid response to find the transcript for this episode and be sure to subscribe to our email newsletter.